So you don't have to raise your hand because uh, we don't want anybody to be embarrassed, but how many people have ever gotten lost in their life? Like, like you headed out in a specific direction, but somewhere you took a, a wrong turn, you got off course, and you ended up in a place where you didn't intend to be, and you weren't actually even sure really where you were or how to find your way back to where you started from or how, how to find your way forward. And I, I know it, it's kind of super cliche as a man to say this, but... I do actually genuinely feel like I've always kind of had a pretty good sense of direction. Any guys with me on that? Like you're, you're not, you don't ever get lost. Like you know where you're going. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, yes. So, uh, but I have uh, unfortunately had the experience of having gotten lost. Uh, my wife and I were traveling at one time and uh, we went to a conference in the city of Atlanta and we had flown there and it was a three-day conference and we had to leave a little bit early on the last day to go and catch our flight. And when we left, uh, we didn't account for traffic, and so it was horrible traffic through downtown Atlanta. And, uh, and so I just decided, like, I can find my way around the traffic and through the city and get us to the airport, no problem. Uh, and so I hopped off of the freeway, and uh, I didn't know it, but I was very confidently heading in the wrong direction. And uh, it wasn't very long before we ended up in a place in a neighborhood that was pretty sketchy and kind of kind of scary and not only did we know that we were lost, but everybody around was looking at us and knew that we were lost. Like, hey, you, clearly you don't belong here. Now, if you're wondering why we didn't just kind of pull out our phones and plug it into our phones and let maps guide us out, uh, it's because it was 2007 and the iPhone had just come out and nobody really had any smartphones and had these devices that you were carrying around in your pocket that had GPS location. And I, was, I had a Blackberry, all right? Like I, I didn't have a, a smartphone. And so, because obviously today, like if that happens, you just whip out your phone and you'd have maps, figure out where you are and what direction you need to start moving in and what turns you need to take and when you need to take them. And, and it's even better when it tells you in this really soothing British lady's voice, right? If some just like, she just seems to know what she's talking about. She's British. And, and, and if you make a wrong turn, unlike your co-pilot, she doesn't like criticize you and your mistakes, right? Like she just sort of kindly and graciously reroutes you and gives you a new, new way forward, which is really, really awesome. But the reality is there, there are different types of, of being lost, right? Like we can be lost physically, like I was just talking about. Uh, but we can also get lost situationally, where you just find yourself in, in circumstances or in a place in your life where you're like, I, I don't really know what to do here. Like, I don't, I don't know what decision to make. I don't know which direction to go. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. Sometimes it happens in relationships. It can happen to all, you know, our career, movement, whatever. Like, we find ourselves in situations where I, I just don't know what to do. And then and there's other times where we, where we get kind of lost, like, in our identity, where it's like, I'm not sure who I am. I, I thought I knew who I was. Like I had a pretty good handle on it, but now I'm in a place where this thing happened and this thing happened. And then I did this and I ended up, over, and I'm just not sure who I am. And, and then the other way that we can kind of get lost is spiritually where you're just like, I don't, I don't know where I'm at with God. Like I, I maybe sometimes it's before we step into a relationship with God where you're like, I, I, I kind of maybe believe that he's out there, but I, I don't really know who he is or what's true or with which path to go on or like how to connect with him. And sometimes it happens even after like you step into faith with Jesus where you're just like, there was a time where I felt really close to God, where I just felt like I knew he was right there and he was with me. And, it, and, and but now it just feels like, like he's a million miles away and I can't, I can't find him. Now there are obviously tools and apps to help 
help you with that first kind of being lost, right? And, and maybe even part of the second one where, you know, you help figure out kind of a situation to, to what decision to make in that, in that situation. But the truth is those last, you know, couple, two or three situations of us being lost, those circumstances, those types of lostness can only, the answers really can only come from God. So a, a couple of weeks ago, we started into a conversation about the Holy Spirit. And, and, and honestly, um, universally, the, the title of this series is completely hated by everybody. The breath, doves, clouds, fire, like everybody's like, I, that's dumb, I, you know. But there's a reason, right? Because depending on your experience, it can be tempting to sort of just tune out a series like this because it's hard to see how it relates to our everyday life, which is, I think, one of the challenges with church. Like I, I've been a pastor a really long time and and in the course of me leading churches and pastoring churches, I've talked with so many people who walked away from church, just decided they didn't walk away from God, but they walked away from church because things were spiritual for sure. But the experience of church just had no application to their daily life. And so they're just like, I, I, just, don't, I just don't know what to do with the things that I'm hearing or experiencing. And, and honestly, that's a problem. But I, I also think, the pendulum can swing too far the other way, right? Like sometimes in the pursuit of what's relevant and being really practical and, and have all this application, we often, we often completely just sort of push out all the transcendence sort of reality of who God is. And the truth is you and I need both, right? We need to be able to step into an environment where we connect to a God who's bigger than us, who thinks bigger than us, who is bigger, bigger than us, who exists outside of time and space, who we can't fully wrap our brains around and experience his love and his grace and his presence, but also be able to walk out and go like, this is, this is gonna be helpful to my everyday life. And that's why I love this particular conversation because it may not seem like it on, on the surface, but it is both. Because when we're lost in any area of our life, God's way of directing us, God's way of helping us find our way out of that situation is to send us his Holy Spirit because he is the difference maker. His presence in our life is the dif difference maker. And, and one of the things that I've always sort of been fascinated by is how two people can experience the exact same moment, the exact same circumstances, but can step into them and experience them in, in completely different ways. Like, like if you're a follower of Jesus, have you ever known someone whose life was in a similar place as yours and, and, and <clears throat> they had experienced kind of similar setbacks and challenges and, and, and you came out of those situations feeling really lost. You came out of those situations feeling kind of stuck, but, but they didn't. Like, and I don't mean like someone that was really good at sort of faking it. I mean somebody who just seemed to have a confidence and a direction, right? And, and they were in the same circumstances and they just felt really, really confident in the direction they were going and you were agonizing over which way to go or which choice to make. They seemed to have this deep sense of who they are and who God is and you were really struggling and wrestling with both. Now, I know it, might not seem so on the surface, but I'm gonna to try to convince you during the course of this message that this conversation is the key to, those, to that experience. See, there's nothing wrong with us really struggling or feeling lost or being, getting lost in some of those situations, but if we are going to find our way forward in our real life, it's gonna be because we actually connect to God and his spirit leads us into the life he created us for. And, and 
because of that, I, I think that's one of the reasons why we get so many different images or pictures of who the Holy Spirit is and what he's like, whether it's breath or doves or clouds or fire, because all of those images appear in the scriptures repeatedly when talking about the Spirit of God. And so last week, if you weren't here, I just wanna encourage you to go back and check out the podcast. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. But last week, we started with the idea of breath, the Holy Spirit as breath. And, and, but there's this other image that we're given of him as a dove. And I don't know what that makes you think, think of when you hear that, but you know what it makes me think of? Maybe you're just like your mother. She's never satisfied. Sing it. Why do we scream at each other? This is what it sounds like when the dun, 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 dun. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We got a couple. We could go on the road. Some of you guys were like, just like fill in the back singers. It'd be awesome. No, but the question is like, what does God's spirit as a dove have to do with our lostness? And how does he help us find our way forward? Now, maybe the most obvious moment where the Holy Spirit appears as a dove in the scriptures is in the New Testament during the baptism of Jesus. And so it's found in Matthew chapter three. If you're not familiar with that story, um, this is what that uh, looked like. And so Matthew chapter three, verse 16 says this. It says, after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on top of him. Now, that's just a really, really cool moment just on the surface, right? If you're there and you're watching Jesus get baptized and he comes up out of the water and the heavens open up and there's light and the, you, know, you hear the voice, oh, and then a dove comes down from heaven. Symbolically, this image comes down and sits on Jesus. And then we didn't even read this part, but in the next verse, this voice comes out of nowhere, comes out of heaven and says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Right, like that would just be a really cool experience. But as always, there's more going on than we understand when we just read the story. Because everybody who was standing there who saw it happen that day, or everybody who would have heard about it from people who saw it happen, who heard the story, right? They, they would have all likely had the same thought because there were just a, a handful of ancient stories from the Old Testament that stood out for the Jewish people, for the people of God, from their history. And one of those stories was the story of Noah and the great flood. Now, if you are unfamiliar with that story, it takes place in Genesis chapter you know, 6, 7, and 8. And basically, this is sort of the story in a nutshell. After only 10 generations after creating humanity, people had become so evil and so corrupt God's heart is broken, and so God decides he's just gonna press reset. And, and so judgment and destruction are on their way, but in his mercy, God actually provides a way of salvation. He has an ark, this ark built, this ark of safety built. Now, when you read the Old Testament, there's all these stories that happen very literally. They're all foreshadowing and pointing towards the person of Jesus, that there's coming a day where we're all in need of salvation. We're all in need of rescue. We're all in need uh, uh, to escape the, 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 the judgment and the wrath and the, the brokenness of our own choices. And God sends and provides in his mercy a way of salvation and Jesus comes. And this story is very literal, right? And so the earth is flooded and everything and everyone is destroyed. But in the end, only Noah and his family listen to God and obey God and make it onto the ark. Now, once they're on the ark, days turn into weeks, 
and weeks spill into you know, a month, month and a half, and they have no idea when or if they're going to find land, and they have no idea what the future is going to be like when they do, and so they're just sort of adrift on the water. And finally, after six or eight weeks, the ark comes to rest on the top of a mountain, and, and, and they're all inside, and they're not sure if it's safe for them to leave the boat yet, and so Noah has a brilliant idea, and he decides to do a little bit of an experiment And this is the very first moment that we actually see a dove introduced in the scriptures. And so in Genesis chapter eight, verse eight, this is why this story would have came to mind for those that were there when Jesus was being baptized. It says this, it says, Noah released a dove to see if the water had receded and it could find dry ground. But the dove couldn't find no place to land because the water still covered the ground. And so it returned to the boat and Noah held out his hand and drew the dove back inside. After waiting another seven days, Noah released the dove again. This time, the dove returned to him in the evening with a fresh olive leaf in its beak. And then Noah knew that the floodwaters were almost gone. So Noah feels rightfully like lost, right? God didn't share this part of the plan with them, right? There, there was the plan of, hey, this is coming. This reset's coming. You need to build an ark. There's gonna be safety. You need to get the animals. Like there's all this buildup, all this plan of what's coming, but there, then there's no details here. So he's not even sure what they're supposed to be doing, right? And so the present of what they're experiencing and the future are just completely unknown. They're completely unclear. And so Noah, once the, the boat lands on this mountain, he sends out a dove into the uncertainty, and eventually the dove comes back with an olive branch, with, with hope and with direction. Now, I don't know if you ever do this, but um, because I'm a nerd and bored and like have a silly sense of humor, um, I like to actually Google and find artist renderings of Bible stories because they are all, all so ridiculous and so funny. And so I found this picture and it made me laugh. I wanted to share with you. So here's Noah standing at the window of the ark and um, I'm not sure why he's shirtless in this picture, okay? And clearly, he's not got a dad bod. He's got the granddad bod. He's got the little, like, you know, wrinkles going on around the back. But Noah didn't skip arm day, guys. Like, look at those arms. He's rocking, like, building an ark. You get yoked, okay? So, um, but look, look, it's no wonder after this experience, right, after this moment where Noah sends out a dove and it brings back an olive branch, it's no wonder that those two things, those two symbols are like the universal symbols of peace and of goodwill, right? Because this is an incredible moment. The question I have, and maybe you're wondering this in this story is why did he send out a dove? I mean, honestly, he had two of every bird on board the ark why not send out a hawk? Why not send out a bald eagle? Hashtag America. Right? But the truth is, when you read the scriptures, it's not coincidental that Noah sent out a dove. Because God never leaves anything in the story to chance. Everything says something about something. And so without even getting too far into the scriptures, if you just did a little bit of a just a little bit of a Google search. On doves, you would find out several things pretty quickly about them. Number one, doves are incredibly, incredibly resilient. They're small and they're delicate, but they can, in, in, they can survive and thrive in all kinds of really hostile and inhospitable environments. They're also extremely nurturing uh, birds. 
In fact, both parents, the, the male and female birds, both take responsibility for feeding and caring for their young. They both actually produce uh, uh, the, the milk that their young, their young eat. And then thirdly, they're, they're found everywhere. In fact, there are different species of doves that are found all over the world, in every, in every corner of the world. After first service, um, somebody came up to me and said, you know, there's a, there's a fourth thing about doves is that when you wrap them in bacon, they are incredibly delicious. And I was like, I mean, that's kind of true of everything. You wrap anything in bacon, there's little dove poppers. <sighs> yeah. But, but pause for just a second and think about what it, what it communicates, like what God could just be leading us towards, telling us about who the Holy Spirit is and the role he plays in our lives, just from the things we know about what doves are like, right? That, that no matter where you go, he's there. No matter what you do, he's not going to abandon you. In fact, in the Psalms, in Psalm 139, verse seven, the writer actually wrote about this very thing. Listen to what he says. He says, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. If I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in the darkness, I could not hide from you. I mean, think about what God is saying to you, that no matter how dark the place that you can work yourself into, that God sees you, that you are not beyond his love and his light, that his presence is with you no matter where you go. But he's also nurturing and loving and tender towards you, right? Like that even at your worst, even when the world is cruel and harsh, even when life has beat you down or you have beat yourself up, that God's presence, that his spirit shows up with compassion and grace, David's son, King David, who wrote that psalm, his son Solomon wrote these words in Lamentations chapter three. He said, the steadfast love of the Lord, it never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every single morning of your life. Great is your faithfulness, God. So when your eyes pop open in the morning, new mercy, new grace, the steadfast love of the Lord, it never ceases. His mercies, there's no end to God's love and his mercy and his tenderness and his nurturing and his care and his grace for you. Isn't that absolutely incredible that he's with you, that he's nurturing, but he's also, he's also resilient, giving you the strength and the grit and the power to find your way through even the most impossible, uncomfortable, and challenging parts of your life. And, and honestly, if that was all there was to this whole dove thing, that would be really, really amazing. But it's not all there is, because the other thing that the people who saw a dove descend on Jesus when he was baptized would have thought about, they would have thought about the, the religious sacrifices that were a part of Judaism. See, most of us haven't really read the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament because it's full of all of the instructions for the Jewish sacrifices to God when they come to worship and when the sacrifices they make and well, because we're not Jewish and even Jewish people don't live by that sacrificial system anymore, well, why would we read that? But when you, if you were to go back and read the book of Leviticus, here, some of the instructions you would find, you actually include doves. And here's the thing. 
doves were the, were the only birds that God allowed to be used in sacrifice. And the reason that God gives of why they're the only ones is because they were everywhere and they were inexpensive. Now, again, this is not accidental. It's not like God's just like pulling it out of hat, like, well, what bird should we let them use? Oh, how about doves? I don't know. No, this isn't accidental. From the very beginning, God wanted you and me, wanted humanity to know that all of us have access to him. That when we come to him, he's not just for the religious or the privileged or the rich or the elite. He's for the irreligious and the doubters and the non-believers. That he's for the imperfect and the everyday people. That he's for the rich and the poor and everyone in between. That he's for the outsiders and those people who don't even know where they belong. He's accessible everywhere to every one because that's who the Holy Spirit is, that God is available and present with you. Now, this is such a huge deal to God. There are only a couple of times during Jesus's life here on earth that, that you actually, we, we read about him getting angry. And both, both of those times were for the same reason. Both of those times where we, he went into the temple and as he's going into the temple, there are people who are set up. There's vendors that were always set up in the temple that were selling doves. And that's, that's not the problem. That was fine because that, they were doing what Leviticus said. The problem was is that these vendors had gotten greedy and they were jacking up the prices and gouging people who were coming to worship God. And so there were people who had come to the temple thinking like, I don't have a lamb to bring to God. I don't have a sacrifice to bring. We'll get a, we'll get a dove when we get there. And then they get there and they can't afford one. And so it's pricing people out. And this is ex literally the exact opposite of God's heart. Like the whole point of God allowing people to use doves was so that everybody could be included, so everybody could participate. And so Jesus, Jesus is livid and he starts flipping over their tables and he's kicking everybody out of the temple who's doing that. And he's so intense. In one of the stories, he actually grabs some rope and he makes a whip out of that rope and he goes into the temple and he starts driving everyone out of the temple who's taking advantage of people. It's not exactly the soft, sort of sweet, cuddly little Jesus we often like see him portrayed as. One of my favorite lines from the Chronicles of Narnia is when Lucy is looking at Aslan, Aslan, be Aslan being a symbol of Jesus. And she says, is he safe? And the response comes, no, he's not safe, but he is good and you can trust him. That's what I think about when I think about this moment of Jesus is like, he's God. Of course he's not safe, but he is good. So you can trust him. See, God fiercely and furiously fights against any system, any religion, anything that sets itself up between you and him to try to manipulate or control you. There is another reason that God gives for allowing doves to be used in sacrifices back in Leviticus. And the reason that he lists is because of their purity. See, th this, this part is really important because the stuff that often stands between us and God, it isn't just stuff on the outside, right? There, there's religion and system and there's all the stuff, you know, the story of Jesus and the, the vendors and all that. There is stuff on the outside. There's stuff that gets in the way. There's people that get in the way. Systems get in the way. 
But, but the stuff that stands between us and God isn't just on the outside. It's on the inside of us, right? It's all the junk that's attached itself to our life. It's all the, the stuff that, that's been done to us and the stuff that we've done to ourselves and to the people we love. It's all the moments where we betrayed God or we betrayed God's image in us and we betrayed ourselves or we hurt the people around us where we knowingly did what was wrong. We violated our own conscience. Like all that stuff, just all this noise between us and God. And so God sends his spirit to begin to cleanse us and to clean up our lives, to point us to something better, to help us actually find our way forward situationally and relationally and spiritually. And so Jesus actually says this about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16. He says this, he says, if I do go away, then I will send him, speaking of the Holy Spirit, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. And so there's part of this where Jesus is saying, look, you you know how you're trying to figure out the right thing to do? Like, you you know how like you're you're trying to figure out why you keep self-sabotaging and making a mess of your life or or, or what decision you need to make right now or or what what way you're supposed to go? You you know how you're trying to figure out how to treat the person in front of you who's hurt you and you're you're trying to decide whether or not to forgive them or not? You, You know, Like we've always, he's speaking to the people that are right there and he's going, you've always relied on tradition and priests and teachers to help you answer those questions from the scriptures. And those things are great and they still have their place. But now he's going, now you have something better. Now you have God's spirit, you have God's presence. And he's not just with you, he will come and live inside of you. And if you will listen, he will lead you out of the darkness and the mess and the brokenness into life and into light and into God's intention and God's best for you. See, I know when we read that verse that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin and then you know, the righteousness and the judgment. Like I know when we hear that, like it feels like we, there's something in us that just is like, I knew it. Like God's just, he's just this, He's just trying to catch us and judge us and pronounce, you know, and, and declare us guilty, right? Like we, we feel it's harsh and heavy-handed and judgy. And, and the truth is like we can feel that way because like to us, it really does only mean those things. When you're convicted, it means you're found guilty, right? It's to find, prove, or declare somebody guilty. And, and honestly, there's a time for all of that. You cannot escape those themes and that reality in the scriptures. But that is not God's intention for you. And that's not actually what he's saying here. Like, because if you actually go and look up the word convict, it does have several meanings. And here's what he's saying is that the Holy Spirit actually comes and will open your eyes. He will convince you and show you of what's true and right and what's right in front of you. That he will illuminate and expose the things that you cannot see that are holding you back. That he will redirect, that he will help you live into your life with confidence and conviction. Because the truth is God actually loves you right where you're at and he's actively leading you somewhere better. God doesn't love some like romanticized, cleaned up, religious future version of you. He loves the real you right now, right where you are with all of your messiness. But he also loves you too much to leave you just stuck in that place. Because he has the power to lead you somewhere better. That's what he does because that's what love does. So he comes and begins to show you. Not only did he give you your own conscience so you know when right from wrong, but the Holy Spirit comes and you're just like, ah, I know this thing in my life is messing me up. 
from the moment he enters our lives, he begins convicting and convincing and calling us forward into the person God created us to be, into relationship with Jesus, into the life he created us for. The question is, how? How does he do that? What does that look like? Well, one of the most famous and often quoted verses in the New Testament is found in the book of Romans in chapter eight. And it says this. It says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. So God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Now that is this incredible promise, right? Because if you're a follower of Jesus, no wonder that's one of the most quoted scriptures, right? Because we read that and it's going, life isn't random. Life isn't meaningless. That God leverages everything that life throws your way for your good, for who you're becoming, to move you closer to him, to move you closer to home. And maybe you're in a situation where you're looking at it and you're going, I don't even understand how any good could come out of this horrible thing that happened. Now, the truth is, is like we need God. We need the, his presence, his spirit in our life sometimes to be able to be able to see that that is a possibility. But here's the reality. You can trust him. You know why? Because he's out working in places that are beyond you and beyond your ability to see right now. Just like Noah stood at that, I can't see what's out there. Now let this dove go out and find the hope. Find the future. God is out working in front of you, bringing back, bringing back something that will bring hope for the future. By the way, I don't think it should get lost on us that Noah and his family were safely inside the ark. The ark was God's idea. It was part of God's plan for them. It was his mercy to rescue and save them. But it also wasn't the end of the story. Can you imagine, right? Like, because they're facing incredible odds. They're facing complete unknown, uncertainty. Can you imagine if they were just like, yeah, I think we're just gonna kind of be boat people now. Like, this is great. This boat's awesome. We're the first people ever with a boat. Just just go cruising the rest of our life, babe. Got all these animals, we'll just kill and eat them. Like, we're good. Also, Noah had spent, by some estimates, like he'd spent decades building the ark, right? What if he was just like, look, I'm not leaving this ark. You know how long it took me to build this thing? It took me like 40 years for a 40-day cruise? I don't think so. We can get our money's worth out of this. I, see, I, I think sometimes we don't realize that the place that we got stuck in it was a good place and we got stuck there because it just felt safe and comfortable because we, it made sense. It wasn't the, like it's cramped and it smells bad because there's animals living inside. But it's predictable and we're used to it and we, can, we know we can make it in here, right? And sometimes even if you're a follower of Jesus, like you may get stuck in places that, that is a place that God led you. 
It was a place that God provided for you. You were just following the plan. And so you ended up in this incredible moment where God did this something spectacular, like saved you through an ark. And you're just like, I'm just gonna live here, God. But the Holy Spirit comes. The dove is out in our future working. And he comes to move us forward, to lead us from where we are to where we need to be so we don't get stuck on the boat. See, what... When you begin to trust God like this, when you begin to trust your life, when you begin to step into your life knowing that all things, not just a few things, not just a lot of the things, not just most of the things, all the things are working together, that God is somehow making this good come out of it for your life, all of a sudden it changes how you live. It changes how you interact with people around you, with the world around you. Let me show you what I mean. There's, there's, a, there's a moment between Jesus and his disciples where Jesus is talking about this very thing with them, where he's gonna send them all out. They've been kind of hanging with him, just following with him, being the disciples, great. He's doing miracles. They're crowds. They're kind of like the rock stars. Yeah. And then Jesus is like, all right, you guys have seen me do this. You know what I'm about. Now get out there and go talk to, you know, go Go do it. Go heal people. Go help people. Go spread my message. And they're like, whoa. Matthew 10, Jesus says this. He says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes or serpents and be as innocent and harmless as doves. I think, like, if I was there, I'd have been like, um, Jesus, wolves eat sheep like you know that right sheep among wolves i mean that's really vulnerable and scary and that's like threatened and the truth is if you look around today with how tense our culture is how angry people are about everything it's because they're afraid It's because there's wolves on the other side, whatever side they're on, right? More and more and more. This is a great shirt, but in light of this, this is really interesting. More and more and more, I see shirts all the time. Lions, not sheep. Lions, not sheep. You know why? Because sheep get eaten, right? If we'd have been present there, we'd have been like, wolves, not sheep, Jesus. Don't you know what you're talking about? Right? And so Jesus says, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Wouldn't it be crazy if we're like, well, we're just going to have to start acting like wolves to defend ourselves. But notice what Jesus says. He doesn't say, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves, so you got to match them. you got to match their intensity. you got to match, you, you just got to be a wolf. you got to man up. No, he doesn't say any of that. He says, so be as wise and as shrewd as a snake or a serpent, but be as innocent and as harmless as a dove. So there's the wise part, the shrewd part, right? That's like, he's like, don't just be like a dumb sheep going to slaughter. No, no, no. You're not clueless. You're not oblivious. You know what's going on in the world. You don't live with your head in the sand. You can look at a situation and look at people and know what's going on and you can see it clearly. 
But you don't have to actually become that angry, jaded, resentful, vengeful, defensive wolf in return. You actually, in your own relationships, you can be triggered by what they're doing, but you can rise above it. You can see people in situations clearly and still not allow them and what they've done to you to dictate your response. See, part of the evidence that, the, that God is at work, the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, is that when the world, when people around you are fighting and feuding, that there's this calmness, this harmlessness, this innocence about your life. No, we got to get into those chat rooms. We got to comment on those things. Right? And we do that because we don't actually believe what Jesus is saying. Right? Because we often think harmless, uh, this is negative. Who wants to be harmless? Right? That guy's harmless. It means he's useless. Right? You don't got to worry about that guy. Push him off to the side. But that's not what it means. It means the opposite of being harmful. It means that you live your life in a way where you're self-controlled, where you're trustworthy. It means instead of being stirred up and defensive and anxious all the time, that you can actually live in your life with peace and with calm and confidence that other people don't seem to have. It means that you can respond to people with love and with humility. Why? Because you know God and you know that the Holy Spirit is out working on your behalf in places and in ways that you cannot see and because God is working all things together for the good of those who love him. It's either true or it's not. What if we decided we were actually gonna live like it was true? Now, there's a place in the New Testament where we kind of see it all come together. The Holy Spirit working in our lives and then our response to that. It's found in Philippians chapter four. There's a couple of verses. They're really famous. Philippians four, verses seven and eight. And so the first seven is kind of the, where we see the Holy Spirit peace kind of working God's presence in our lives. It says, in the peace of God, this is the, the result, right? And, and the peace of God, when you begin to live and trust that this is all true, you begin to trust God and step into the future as if God is there working on your behalf, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, it means people will look at you and they'll go, Don't, how, do you, how can you have peace? Don't you know what's going on in the world? Don't you see what's happening around you? Can't you see what those people are doing? Can't you, don't you know, haven't you looked at the market? Haven't you watched the news? How can you have so much peace in your life? And the peace of God will transcend all understanding and will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit part. And now, dear brothers, one final thing in response to that, fix your thoughts. This is our part. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. See, there, there's the peace of like God's unexplained presence and peace guarding your heart and your mind, bringing clarity where there was only confusion. But then there's also you and I fixing our thoughts on him. Why? Because when you fix your thoughts on God, all of a sudden, you start to find your way forward. You start filling your mind with what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. The truth is, 
a whole lot of situations that just felt really murky and cloudy and confusing start to clear up. When we fix our thoughts on God, that's when we begin to find our way forward. But the question is, how do we do that? Well, even that part of like, is this like this weird answer where like, it's something we do, but it's also something we can't do by ourselves. Like we actually need God to help us aim our thoughts in the right direction. It's no wonder that Jesus said that we'd be better off with the Holy Spirit living inside of us as his followers than with him standing beside us. So uh, a few years ago, um, I ran across this picture, and it is one of my it's one of my favorite pictures when I think about it, especially in light of this conversation, especially in light of who God is in our life. Because I, I think in this picture, it, it kind of captures the face of God and really illustrates this conversation about the Holy Spirit perfectly. Here it is. So the lady on the left is blind. And she's a Paralympian, and she's a sprinter. The guy on the right is her guide who's running with her so that she knows where to go. See, there, there's times in our lives where we have no idea what we're doing or where we're going. And if you're a follower of Jesus, we're just trying to follow what God says as best we can in the direction that God has put us on, and we're just running. And we're running hard. We have no idea where we're at. We have no idea where we're going. We don't know where the finish line is. We're just like this blind runner. God, I, I don't know what, I don't know, I don't know where I'm at in the race. I don't know what's ahead. But I love this picture. Because this lady from Brazil, she doesn't know it yet. But she is at this very moment winning the gold medal. She has no idea that in the next step, she's going to cross the finish line and win. She's just doing what the guide tells her to do. She's following his lead, running hard. And I love the look on his face because he knows. He knows what she doesn't know. He sees what she can't see. She's following his lead and she's running hard. And I think this is the look on God's face when you begin to follow and trust him and trust the Holy Spirit and you just live into where he's leading you and you run hard. He's like losing it. He's overjoyed because he knows what you don't and he sees what you can't. He knows that the, like the, the, the victory is right there. It's coming your way. See, the truth is we are blind to so much of what God's plan is, what the future is going to be like. But the Holy Spirit promises not only to be working out in the future and working for our good, but that we're on a path where we're going to actually win a victory that we can't even see. We have to trust and follow him because he's resilient and he's nurturing He's working and helping and healing, convicting and convincing and directing so that no matter what's going on that we cannot see or understand, we can trust where he's taking us. And so this is what I want to challenge you to do this week. This is the one step we can do, no matter what's going on in your life, 
that verse from, chapter, from Philippians chapter four, verse eight. This is the challenge. If you already have like a regular habit of reading the scriptures regularly in your life, that's fantastic. Add this to it. If you don't, just start here. Let this be a starting place. But Philippians chapter four, verse eight, every single day this week, read, you, you have a Bible on your phone. You can find it on the internet. Maybe you have like an actual printed Bible that you use. Philippians 4, 8. Read that four, five, six times every single day this week and just begin to go, God, this is my goal. I'm gonna internalize this, that what I'm gonna put, what I'm, where I'm gonna fix my thoughts is on you, is on what's true and right and honorable, good. And as you do, simply whisper a prayer, God, I'm inviting you, I'm inviting the Holy Spirit to help me aim my thoughts on you. Aim my thoughts in the direction that you're leading me, in the direction of the hope that you've given me. Let's pray together.